Well, let me add my voice to the others and say welcome to all the freshmen and their parents. Let's give them a round of applause for being here today. Hey, new freshmen, do you already miss Chris Birch, 7th and 8th grade pastor? Wow, kind of a mixed bag there. Well, don't worry, you can't actually escape Chris Birch. He's inescapable. He will actually be here next week sharing part two of our series, Identity Crisis, so that's exciting. Uh, but we're kicking off a brand new series tonight. Uh, we do have handouts in the back. If you didn't grab one, they're right behind the Bibles on that table. Feel free to move and get one of those. Now, uh, here's kind of uh, the premise behind this series. Every day of your life, you deal with a lot of different questions. And some of them are pretty simple, but the older you get, the more complex those questions become and the more you miss those simple days. Anybody just show of hands, you miss the simple days with simple questions like, which Pop-Tart do I want? Like, that's, that's as hard as it got back in the day. Like, which cartoon will I watch this morning? Uh, but now that you're older, you start to ask yourself, do I fit in? Does what I do really matter? What is the meaning of life? Maybe you've thought about some of these complex questions as you lay awake in bed at night. And as we get started, I, I want to show you a clip from kind of an older movie that touches on some of these big deep questions. Check out this clip. Many millions of years ago, a race of hyper-intelligent pan-dimensional beings got so fed up with the constant bickering about the meaning of life that they commissioned two of their brightest and best to design and build a stupendous supercomputer to calculate the answer to life, the universe, and everything. Oh, deep thoughts. We want you to tell us the answer. The answer to what? The answer to life, the universe, everything. We'd really like an answer, something simple. Hmm, you have to think about that. Return to this place in exactly seven and a half million years. <laughs> Is it finished? I don't know, there's more, there's more. They go back. What, seven and a half million years later? That's right. They do. Deep thoughts. Do you have an a answer for you? Yes, but you're not going to like it. All right. The answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything is... Forty-two. Forty-two? Yes, yes, I thought it over quite thoroughly. It is, it's 42. It would have been simpler, of course, to have known what the actual question was. But it was the question. The ultimate question. Of everything. That's not a question. Only when you know the question will you know what the answer means. Anybody seen that movie? It's pretty old. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. They build this supercomputer to answer what's, what's, the, what's the answer to life, the universe, everything. 42, that'll win you some... Uh, some trivia, maybe somewhere down the line. It's, it's obviously not that simple. 
right? And, and even the supercomputer tells them at the end, you have to have the right question to be able to understand the answer. And so tonight, as we kick off this series, I want to ask you to think about who you are. But I want you to ask yourself. So number one on your uh, fill-in is, who am I? Three simple words. Who am I? And what I want to do is I want to take 30 seconds for you to use that space. We left a little bit of space between one and two. I want you just to write, who are you? Like if you had to sum up who you are, if you had to answer this question, who am I, what would you write? Take 30 seconds and do that right now. No cheating off of the person beside you. That probably won't be super helpful. Take 30 seconds. Anybody struggle with what to write? Show of hands. If you struggled, help out the people in the room who are all... Okay, so it's not just you. Answering that question, it seems so simple, but how do you condense who you are as a person into that tiny little blank that I left you on this handout? And listen, if you want to think about it more later, I would encourage you to do that. But if I were to come around to some of you who did write some things down, I'm relatively confident in what I would find. You probably wrote a lot of the things that you do and that's not bad or wrong, it's just incomplete. And I want to tell you something tonight as we talk about identity that honestly, like I, I'm not naive, I don't think the things I get up and say on this stage week to week are the most life-transforming things because of me or anything like that. But I, I do believe what I'm about to tell you, it's number two on your fill-ins, I think it can really change some things in your life. I'm going to say it to you this way and then you can write it uh, personally. You are more than what you do. So I want you to write it for yourself. I am more than what I do. And I promise you, high school student, if you can get a hold of this truth now, it will inform and influence the rest of your life. You are more than what you do. If you fall into the trap of thinking who you are is what you do, you then have to deal with another question. What happens when I can't do that thing anymore? Many of you, I know this for a fact, you find so much of your identity in your academic excellence. And you'll stay up till 2, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning working, grinding, being just a great student, taking all those AP classes. What happens when you graduate? Well, I'll just keep going to more and more school. But at some point, you'll be done with school. Then what? If your identity has always been being a good student, something that you do, and that thing is taken from you, that's, that's going to be a problem for you. Or maybe it's athletics. If you're a star athlete, you've pursued being a starter on varsity all these years, you've put in the time on JV, and now you're coming up through the ranks. But what, what happens when you can't play that sport anymore? Either due to injury or due to graduation, like less than 1% of 1% makes it to the pros. So like when that's over, when it's done, who are you? You are more than what you do. Unfortunately, and you may have seen this, uh, I think the, the scenario I've seen it the most is like a Friday night, 
at a football game in my hometown, there are still people who hang around and they talk about the glory days. You know who I'm talking about? And it's, oh man, I was, I was the best, I was this, I was that. And I'm not trying to be ugly, but I'm telling you, that person has wrapped up so much of who they are and what they accomplished in the past that they've stopped even trying to move forward. And I don't want that for you. You are more than what you do. Don't miss that. Now, before we get into our text, I do want to uh, hit you with number three on, on your handout. Uh, poor identity leads to profound idolatry. Poor identity leads to profound idolatry. You see, we wrap up so much of who we are into something that we can get things kind of twisted. So you see this often when a relationship ends, okay? If maybe it's not been you, but you know somebody this has been true for, uh, they start dating somebody and they just straight ghost you, right? Like you don't matter to them at all anymore. And they're so about that other person. And then inevitably, their relationship falls apart. And it's like, their life is a bottomless pit of sorrow. Like they'll never be happy again. The sun will never shine. Everything is awful. Why? Because they've over identified as being in that relationship. You're, you're more than who you date. You're more than who you're married to. Like you are not defined by that relationship. You've got to get that through your head. Adults, adults. What about when the economy is bad or there's downsizing or we, I don't know, live through a pandemic that changes the scope of the global economy and things just aren't what they were. Is our identity wrapped up in that idolatry? We were just our job. High school students, the most important thing about you is not the career that you choose one day. It's just not. Don't get your identity tied up in idolatry. I'll tell you where we see it a lot here in the South is our sports teams. Anybody here just, you want to be big enough person to admit when your team wins, everything's great, but when they lose, it's just rough times. Look around. Okay, this is not an example. This is me. I struggle with this still. And I'm just telling you, some of us have some idolatry with our sports teams, whether we play for them or it's our team that we watch on TV, but we're still like, yeah, we, we were really in it. Yeah, but we lost. We, like you weren't on the team. You didn't do anything but cheer from your couch. Your identity is wrapped up in some idolatry. And when you have poor identity, it just reinforces that idolatry in your life. Be aware of that. Now, tonight we're going to look at one primary passage. It's Matthew chapter 16. So if you have a Bible, uh, maybe you grabbed one of our house Bibles in the back, or if you are going to scroll on your phone, that's fine. We're going to look at Matthew 16, verses 13 through 20. I'm excited again to talk about our friend Simon Peter, a person that uh, got a lot right, but also got quite a lot wrong. But tonight is one of his finer moments. Matthew 16, 13 through 20. Tell you what, I'll read it and then we'll just unpack it together. Beginning in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. 
Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Jesus starts off by asking the 12 people he's closest with in all the world, who do people say I am? He's asking them for the popular public opinion. He's asking them for the word on the street. You you have to remember, Jesus has done some pretty significant things at this point. He's turned water into wine. That was his first public miracle. He's fed thousands of people from a little kid's lunchable. Like People are following Jesus. He's healing. He's doing wondrous things. He's you know, they didn't have social media, but if they did, he would have been trending regularly. Like, he was a big deal. And so Jesus says to the disciples, what are people saying about me? Who do they think I am? And they start to share with him, well, they think that you're somebody special. Maybe you're a prophet, right? Maybe you're John the Baptist, come back. And what I love is what Jesus says in, in verse 15. He makes it personal. What about you? Who do you say I am? I, I hope that you won't miss this. High school student, parent, small group leader, All of us have to answer this question. Who do you say Jesus is? How you answer that question will largely determine the course of your life and will determine the course of your eternity. Who do you say Jesus is? And like I alluded to, Simon Peter, who got a lot of things wrong, actually gets this right. He says, Jesus, you're the Messiah. You're the chosen one. God has sent you to save us. And that's a very packed statement because they've been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for a long time for the Messiah to show up. And Simon gets it right. And Jesus tells him, you're blessed because nobody on the street told you this. God revealed this to you. If you don't know this, I hope that you'll learn it tonight. All truth, God has to reveal it to us. Like you're not good enough or smart enough or special enough to just figure it all out on your own. The Holy Spirit has to begin to stir something inside of you, sent by God the Father, to point you to Jesus the Son. That's how it works. And so Jesus tells Simon Peter, God showed you this. And this is special, and you're blessed because of this. And this is actually a pretty debated passage. We won't dive too deep into it. Uh, He starts talking about Simon becoming Peter. Peter means rock, Petra, right? It's the rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. Now, some people think it's specifically Peter. And listen, Peter did a ton of great things. He was the leader of the early church, really before Paul was on the scene. Paul, at this point, still saw opposing the way. And and you can get into all that. Other people say it's based on the confession that Peter made. Peter is rightly acknowledging Jesus alone is Messiah. He's the Savior. He's Lord. I tend to lean towards the latter, but I won't fight you too hard if you want to fight about it. I'm, I'm not much of a fighter. But I do think that that Jesus is acknowledging you have said something so significant. It's transforming. It's life-changing. And he goes on and says some other things. But what I don't want you to miss is that Peter begins to understand who Jesus is. And then Jesus begins to help Peter understand who he is. He tells him, you've been Simon. Simon means hearer of the word. And it's good to hear. But he says, now you're going to become the rock. And on that rock, I'll, I'll build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. And yes, I do think it was the confession, but also Peter himself did some significant things. So the, uh, the last fill-in I have for you there, number four, is you ID Jesus, he'll ID you. If you ID Jesus, he'll ID you. Now you may be feeling kind of gypped. You're like, man, I saw it was about identity, and I thought you were going to tell me like who I am and unlock all these secret things inside of me. And what a ripoff, and I'm really sorry. I, uh, I don't have that answer for you, but I do know that it starts with Jesus. 
What a Sunday school answer, right? What a Veggie Tales thing to say. Now, of course it starts with Jesus. Yes. If you can begin to understand who Jesus is, Jesus is going to help you begin to understand who you are. And I, I just know enough about high school students to know that there are some of you in this room, you have no idea who you are. Not just the new freshmen. Some of you are seniors. Some of you are graduates who are heading off to school in just a couple months. You have no idea who you are. You may think you do. You may have it rooted in some idolatry but you don't know who you are. You're lost. And I just want you to understand, if you can begin to push in and know more and more about Jesus, stop reading all these self-help books, these quick formulas to try to get in touch with your inner self. You need to get in touch with Jesus. Yes, it's a very Sunday school answer, but it's also true. Now, I can tell you a few things specifically about you. They are general, but they are also specific. We'll put uh, this passage on the screen for you. It comes from Psalm 139. If I were you, I would jot down the reference because this, to me, is one of the most encouraging passages in all of Scripture. The psalmist writes, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Look right here at me, everybody, adults and students alike. You are not an accident. You're not. You were put here with a plan and a purpose. And even if you don't know what that is yet, that's okay. You did not come to live on this planet at this time by happenstance. That's not how God works. Look at that passage. The very complexity of creation points to a creator. Just your body it's incredible. The fact that you can go to sleep at night and the body just goes on autopilot. Like you don't have to think about breathing. Your body just does that for you. And now everybody's thinking about breathing, which I know how that works. But like it's incredible. If you've ever studied human biology, it's weird and I don't understand much of it, but it just points me to the fact, Jesus, you are a beautiful artist. The idea that every day of my life, Jesus knew in advance that might feel constricting to some of you, but for me, I've just been doing this Jesus thing long enough. That's so comforting because when things go sideways, and they often do, Jesus is not caught off guard. He knows me intimately. Another part of this passage says that his thoughts about me and you outnumber all the grains of sand on all the beaches in all the world. You matter to God. Quickly, Genesis 1.27, a very significant verse for a lot of reasons. We'll put it on the screen for you. Genesis 1.27 says, God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God didn't just go, all right, I'm going to make some people, and I guess they'll kind of be, eh, I don't really know. We'll just throw it together. He shaped you in his own image. Now hear me, there are some beautiful creatures in creation Go to the aquarium, go to the zoo, watch Animal Planet. You can see some amazing things. None of them are made in God's image. You are. You are an image bearer of the creator. 
The image of God, the imago Dei, rests in you and in the person beside you. That means that your best friend is made in the image of God. It also means that your worst enemy is made in the image of God. It means the saintliest, best person who's ever lived was made in the image of God. And the worst person who committed the most terrible atrocities in all of history also made in the image of God. People we agree with, people we disagree with are made in the image of God. You have inherent dignity, value, and worth. You are God's creation. And that's valuable. That's who you are. We are all God's creation. But I will tell you, we're not all God's children. That's something you hear thrown around a lot. I know what people mean. They mean, yeah, God created us all, and I agree. But you become God's child by passing from death to life, by being adopted into the family of God. And many of you in this room, I know that's the case. But I'm not naive enough to believe that everybody in this room truly knows God, has a relationship with him. And again, if you're wrestling with who am I, and you've never even begun to touch this whole, like, who is Jesus? I just want to encourage you to start there. I want to invite you to trust Jesus, to make the same declaration that Peter did. You are the Messiah. You are the Savior. You are Lord. If you have no idea how to do that, you're like, ah, you're using a lot of churchy phrases, Kevin. What do I do with that? Come talk to me. Talk to your small group leader tonight. Talk to any one of our staff. We'd love to help walk you through that. We will never at Crave, freshman, you need to know this, and the rest of you, I hope you know this, we're not going to emotionally manipulate you. Like sometimes we do a song at the end and we will dim the lights and it's for reflection, but I'm never going to stand up here and try to like trick you into something. Because if I can trick you into it, somebody way smarter than me will trick you out of it. The Holy Spirit has to stir within you, sent by God to point you to Jesus the Son. That's my prayer for those of you who don't know God. For those of you who do, I pray you'd be reminded that that's ultimately who you are, a beloved child. Let me pray for us and we'll get ready to go to small groups. God, we thank you for loving us. We don't deserve your love, but you give it anyway. And my simple prayer tonight is that you would set us free from trying to find our identity in all the wrong things. Help us to start with who you are so that you can begin to tell us who we are. Not society, not our friends, not even the people in our family who love us and mean well for us. But Jesus, you alone can tell us who we are. So for anyone here who is in identity crisis, I pray that you would begin to stir within them through your Holy Spirit. Show us who you are so we can know more of who we are called to be. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.